0: Good morning, church. Welcome here this morning. You, you could have used that excuse of the time change. You could have done it, but you didn't. You're here, and so I'm, I'm glad, that, uh, glad that you've come, and uh, we're multiplying the youth on the front row. I think there were three last week, right? Another six. I expect this to multiply 100% every week, till we got all these front rows filled up with our teens here. Um, That's awesome. Ah, And uh, I I think you were all, yeah, we were all on the youth uh, youth church ski trip on, uh, well, yesterday. Jeez, I'm confused here. Yesterday, the youth went on a ski trip, and I went with them. And so, it was great. Had a lot of fun. I'm feeling a little sore this morning, and... uh, As a pastor, you're always just like, Lord, just keep us all alive. No broken bones, no lawsuits. And then if you have fun too, that's great. We were there five minutes and a kid came running into chalet. There's blood everywhere. So-and-so's. And And, uh, just a slight bloody nose, no big deal. But uh, one boy in a sling, but it was a great, uh, in an arms it it was just a great uh, time. And the Lord uh, watched over us and our travels and everything. So, this morning we're continuing in our series through the Gospel of Mark that uh, I've called Kingdom Come. Mark records for us in the life and the teaching of Jesus, how Jesus came to establish God's kingdom. And so, we're just looking at the nature. What did Jesus come to establish? What is His kingdom? What does it look like for us who've been called into His kingdom as followers of Jesus? What does it look like for us to live that out in our lives? So, we're going to continue this morning as we explore God's kingdom. God has something for each and every one of us that uh, He wants us to hear in ways He wants us each to respond. I'm confident of that this morning. So, may God give us the ears um, to hear that, the faith to respond. So, one of my favorite activities when I, when I was a kid was something called Connect the Dots. You remember Connect the Dots? a you know, page where there's a, there's a bunch of dots, and when you connected them with a line, it made a picture, and, and truth be told, I still like connect the dots. It's still uh, an activity I enjoy very much when I have opportunity to do that. When no one's looking midweek, I'll normally go back to one of the kids' rooms and find some of their booklets and uh, do a little bit of connect the dots, but uh, if, if you've ever done that, you know kind of the idea, right? You connect these dots, and it reveals a picture, and some of those pictures are really obvious, right? Like this one. Any idea what this is? Anyone? Anyone? Did someone say it could be a star? (laughs) It could be. could be something else, but it could be a star. Yeah, that's a star. So, like, some of them are really obvious. Some of them are less than obvious, like this one here. Any idea what that is? You think it's an angel? Anyone else? Horse? Okay. I actually have no idea. I haven't done it. I don't know what it is. I just got it from the internet. Um, I, I didn't want to take the time to do it. I asked Katie at the front desk if she would do it, and she said she didn't think that was an appropriate use of her time. So I, <laughs> I don't know what that is. But if you connect all those dots, it'll make a picture. And what we're going to see this morning is Jesus is going to, he's going to play connect the dots with His disciples. The kingdom of version, or the kingdom of God version of connect the dots. Uh, that's what, really what He's doing. Let, let me just read for you, again, those final words that Howard read. In uh, Mark chapter 8, after Jesus has fed miraculously this this crowd of 4,000 people, He kind of debriefs with His disciples, and uh, He says, Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see, and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Seven, they answered. And he said to them, are you catching on? Do you still not understand? Uh, Apparently, there were some dots that he was leaving that that he was expecting that they might connect in order for them to see something about his kingdom. And so this morning, what we want to do is we just kind of want to see these dots and then connect the dots. And and if we want to see what Jesus is is wanting them to understand, we just need to back up a little bit, because He's going to leave a few dots right in a row. The first dot we find in uh, Mark chapter 7, verses 24. So this is just a few verses earlier. It says that Jesus left that place, and He went to uh, the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet He could not keep His presence secret. In fact, as soon as He... Uh, as she heard about him. Uh, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, born in Syrian Phoenicia, and she begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. Now, okay, so the story begins with Jesus crossing a border. You could do those back in that day. You didn't have to have a COVID test, no proof of vaccination. You could just cross borders. And so Jesus leaves the land of. Israel, he crosses a border into this nation, this province to the north, to the city of Tyre. Now, anyone in that day, any of the Jewish people, they would have known what Tyre was. Tyre was the city of the rival power. That's where the enemies, the foreigners, the others lived, right? People like this woman who was a Greek woman, a Gentile is what they were called, right? So he has gone to a foreign place with foreign people, um, and, and, and not just any place, but this kind of pagan, long-standing oppressor of Israel. This woman was a Gentile. And most Jews in the first century, they shared this prejudice that the Gentiles were, like, innately unclean. It's not, that, it, not just because of anything they did or didn't do. It's because of what they were. They were outside the covenant people of God, the people of Israel. They were unclean. In fact, they believed at that time that if you were to touch a Gentile, they were to touch you, you would become unclean. And so they separated themselves from people like this woman who lived in this place. And yet she comes to Jesus and she asks for Jesus to work his power in the life of a little girl, tormented by a demon. And even though the Jews would not associate with someone like this, they would look down on a woman like this. Jesus responds in this way. He says, "And this... well, this is kind of weird. I'll have to explain this. How does he respond to this woman's request? He says, First, let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right for the children to to take the children's bread and to toss it to the dogs. He's calling her a dog. Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat, eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, For such a reply you may go, The demon has left your daughter. And so she went home and she found the child lying on the bed and the demon had gone. What's going on here? So she requests Jesus to do this thing for her. Right? And, and, he, and he responds by saying, why should I give you any, why should I give what belongs to the children to dogs? In that day, the Jews, that was their per- pejorative term for people like this. They were dogs. And what is Jesus doing here? I, I think this is what he's doing. He's, he's, try, he's trying to build a dramatic tension. He, he's kind of... He's going to do like a bait and switch. What he's trying to do is he's trying to get his disciples, his Jewish entourage around and going, yeah, Jesus, she doesn't deserve anything from God. She is a dog. And she responds with faith in him. And he does something incredible. He heals her daughter. Now now this is the surprise to everyone all the Jews that were watching at this time. The surprise was this, Jesus restores gentiles in gentile territory. Like we know he's already done this sort of thing amongst the people of God in the place of God in the nation of Israel, but here he's in a different place, amongst a different people, and he does the same thing. He restores gentiles in gentile territory. This was a big surprise. There's a dot. And then Jesus continues from here. In in, in verse 31, it says, then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon down to the Sea of Galilee and into the region of the Decapolis. Now, just to do a little bit of geography here because, you know, those place names probably probably mean nothing to you unless you've really studied the maps at the back of your Bible. So, throw up this, this little map here. So, Galilee, that's where Jesus was from, right? On the west side of that blue dot, that's the Sea of Galilee. So, Jesus is from Galilee full of the people of God, full of Jewish people who knew uh, God, part of his covenant people. Jesus crossed that border up to Tyre into that city where he healed this woman's daughter. And from there, he continues to go even further north, away from Israel through Sidon, takes the scenic route, comes back down to the other side of the lake, to a region called the Decapolis. The Decapolis was Gentile territory. The people of God didn't live here. In fact, the people of God lived on the west side of the lake in Galilee. They called the other side of the lake the other side. And so you'll sometimes see in the stories of Jesus, they went to the other side. What is the other side? It's Gentile territory. And they use that as a pejorative term, just like we might say the other side of the tracks. You know, he, he, he's from the other side of the tracks. It was the same thing, except here it was, he's from the other side of the lake. You know those people that aren't a part of God's people? Gentiles. And so this is where Jesus is, okay? He's in this region, the Decapolis. This big crowd comes around Him, and there's this man that's brought to Him. Verse 32, it says, some people brought to Him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk, and they begged Jesus to place His hand on him. Okay, so this is another Gentile man. After He took Him aside, away from the crowd, Jesus, now this is interesting, Jesus put His fingers into the man's ears... Then he spit and touched the man's tongue. (laughs) Jesus took his slobber and wiped it in his mouth. Why? I mean, he could have just stood back and said, speak, hear. But he like, I love this about God. Like, he kind of comes up into our mess. He gets really hands-on. Like, he's not afraid of sticking his finger in our ear, getting a little bit of wax under his fingernail. He's tactile. He comes to us in our mess. So Jesus, he spits and he touches the man's tongue. Then he looks up to heaven with a deep sigh, which just means like this is something that's just deeply heartfelt. Jesus said to him, a fatha, which... (laughs) It happened just like that. A fatha. A fatha. Okay. (laughs) Which means be opened. At this, the man's ears were opened, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak plainly. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone. But the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. For people were, ama- were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the dumb speak. So here Jesus is in this foreign region, this Gentile man. And what does he do? Well, he did what he did with the gal. Entire. He restores a Gentile in Gentile territory. Dot. We have a couple Dots. And now we come to this story in chapter 8, verse 1, where Jesus is going to feed the 4,000, and you're like, oh, hold on here, I thought Jesus fed 5,000. Maybe you were, were reading that story along with Howard going, didn't we already do this like a couple weeks ago? you just kind of getting a deja vu. I had someone this week who asked what I was preaching on, I said, the story of the 4,000, they said, you mean the 5,000? I said, yeah, I think we all do this, right? You might be surprised to know that there was a time where Jesus miraculously fed the 5,000 and a time when he fed the 4,000. And you know, historians, like somewhat what they think is, well, something happened and then that story just evolved. You know how the, you know, the game of telephone goes, it spreads, and it kind of takes on a few different versions of the story. And then Mark, when he writes this down, he just accidentally had two different versions of the same story. That's not what ha- what's happening here, okay? This is, this, this is, um, this is very purposeful. What Jesus is doing in this moment. And so these two stories often get confused because this one is kind of like the the ratty little brother, the forgotten miracle of Jesus. And yet it's so important because in in many ways, this miracle is exactly like the one we talked about a couple weeks ago. And in some ways, it's very different. And you understand what it means when you recognize the things that are the same and the things that are different. And so here Jesus has this crowd in this Gentile territory, a crowd of Gentiles, at least 4,000. And it says he had compassion on them. And so he miraculously feeds them, as he had done for that large crowd in Israel. And there was leftovers, like there had been a couple chapters before. And apparently that's important, that's key to understand what's happening here. Because Jesus says to his disciples, when they're having a tough time cluing in, he says, well, remember when I fed the 5,000, how many basketfuls of leftovers were there? They said, 12, yeah, and how many were there now? Seven. Yeah. Are you catching on? Connecting the dots, guys? Well, what, what, what are they supposed to see here? You know, there are some numbers in the Bible that carry this meaning. You don't want to read too much. You're not, not, not every number, but there are some numbers that keep coming up again, and they, they, they get associated with a, an important principle or truth. And these are some of these numbers. The number 12 was a really important number. You maybe know this, right? 12 tribes of Israel, the people of God was 12, the 12 tribes. It's no accident when Jesus called his disciples, he called 12 and not 11 and not 13 because he's making a point. I am now making a new people of God, which is the church, 12. This number represented the covenant people of God. And so you see this, like, in a a really obvious way at the end of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, chapter 21, when John is given this vision of the new heaven and the new earth that is to come, and he records this vision uh, in, in... Revelation 21 verse 10 it says he saw God showed him this holy city Jerusalem in his vision coming down out of heaven from God and in verse 11 it says it the city shone like the glory of God and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel like a Jasper clear as crystal it had a great high wall with 12 gates and with 12 angels at the gates on the gates were written the names of the twelve tribes of Israel there were three three gates to the east three to the north three to the south three to the west the wall of the city had 12 foundations and on the were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb, and the angel who talked with him had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates and its walls. The city was laid out like a square as long as it was wide. He measured the city with a rod and it found found it to be 12,000 stadia, their unit of measurement, 12,000 stadia in length, and as wide and high as it is long. And the angel measured the wall using human measurement, and it was 144 cubits thick. What's 144? 12 times 12. 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, everywhere's 12. Why? What he's not trying to say is this is, okay, this is the dimension of heaven, right? Like when we get there, the city's actually going to be this long. That's not the point. He's trying to make a point that this is God dwelling with His people. So 12, this number always represents His chosen people, those who belong to Him. And then that number seven, what does that represent? Well, that took on a meaning too. And and maybe it came from Deuteronomy chapter uh, chapter seven, verses one to two. When God is giving some instruction to His people, He's led them out of exile in Egypt, and He's bringing them to the promised land, the land He promised to give to Abraham's descendants. Deuteronomy seven, it says, um, When the Lord your God brings you into the land, you are entering to possess... and and drives out before you many nations, okay, let's count, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, seven nations larger and stronger than you. And when the Lord your God has delivered them over to you and you have defeated them, you must totally destroy them. Make no treaty with them and show them no mercy, right? So the nations that they drove out there and whose land God gave them were these seven nations, right? And so this number seven had come to represent the other nations, The rival nations, the foreigners. And so Jesus says, guys, remember in Israel, I fed the 5,000. There were 12 left over. Here I'm in Gentile territory. How many are left over? There's seven baskets left over. Guys, are you connecting the dots? Are you seeing the picture? And what is the picture that he's trying to show for us, for them and for us? It's that the kingdom of God is for all nations, The kingdom of God that Jesus has come to establish and is building, even right now, is for all nations. It is to extend to the very ends of the earth. And that totally challenged the mentality of their day, because that's not what they thought. They thought they were God's chosen people, and He didn't choose those people. And He cared about them, but He didn't care about others, right? They had this privileged status. They were God's specially chosen people. He loves us more. And so they excluded others because they thought God excluded others. And they had this attitude of derision and disregard for the other peoples, the other nation. But Jesus is saying here, in my kingdom, right, is for all nations. It is to go to the very ends of the earth. Those people on whom you didn't have mercy back then, I am bringing the mercy of God. And you see this as you continue through the gospel of Mark. Because twice after this, Jesus will use the words all nations. Twice. And and it's important. It helps us understand what God's kingdom is all about. You'll find in Mark chapter 11, after Jesus has come into Jerusalem riding on a donkey, remember that? Palm Sunday? The triumphal entry, and he goes to the temple in Jerusalem, and you might remember the scene when he's like turning over the tables, and he's getting really angry, chasing out the money changers, and we think like, why is Jesus so angry? Well, it's because of economic exploitation and all of that in the temple, and that's part of the truth, but it's deeper than that. There's something happening here that's angering Jesus that I think it's really easy for us to miss, so let's read it. This is Mark 11, verses... 15, it says, on reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts, and He began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves, and He would not allow anyone to enter or to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And and as He taught them, He said, is it not written that my... Now He quotes Isaiah chapter 56. This is their scriptures. Is it not written, my house... This is God speaking. My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Is my house not to be a house of prayer for all nations? Let me give you a little bit of temple geography to understand this. Throw up that picture. So this is kind of a blueprint of what the temple looked like. You had that, you had the Holy of Holies. It's the darkest little little piece of gray in that other gray rectangle there. Right where the Ark of Covenant was, where the priest would come and make sacrifice for the atonement of the people. And then there's this other kind of bigger gray a rectangle, right? Those were the courts where the Jewish people could enter. And so the temple had these kind of like layers of courts. But you'll see around that darker gray uh, square, you'll see like a dotted line. And what does it say? Screens beyond which Gentiles were prohibited, right? And what does it say under that, right above the stairs? Court of the Gentiles, And so the temple was laid out. You would come to the temple, and that outer court was called the court of the Gentiles. And there was this screen that was set out that protected the inner courts where only the Jewish people could go. And so if you were a Gentile wanting to come to know and to worship God, you had to stay in the court of the Gentiles. You could go no further under punishment of death, actually. In fact, a few years ago, archaeologists found the sign that hung at the door that said, Gentiles, stay out. This is it. They, they unearthed this. This is the sign that hung at the gate where Gentiles could go no further. And that's what it says. Gen- no Gentiles beyond this point. They had to stay in that outer court. That outer court was exactly where all these people were transacting this business. They had come. They had brought, you know, like all the donkeys and the pigeons and, and the money changers. And they had occupied this space full of their activity, leaving no space for all the peoples of the world to come and to know and to worship God. They had taken the space that belonged to other nations. And that's what upset Jesus because he says, my house will be a house of prayer for all nations. But you're not letting them come. You're taking their space. Jesus is saying, this kingdom of God that I am bringing is for all nations. Nations. And they kind of missed that. And they and they shouldn't have, because even Isaiah spoke about that. And 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 God spoke about this right from the very beginning when, when he came to Abraham and He formed his people, the, the nation of Israel, and He made this promise to them. Right from the beginning, we see God's heart for the world. Even in choosing them, because he comes to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. And he says, the Lord Lord said to Abraham, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. What is God's promise? I'm going to make out of you a people, my people. It was the people of Israel, the Jewish nation. He says, and they're going to be blessed. But that's not all he said. He says, they're going to be a blessing to the whole world. And see, they missed that part. They only got half of that equation. They heard, we are blessed, but they missed the part that we are blessed to be a blessing to the world. That was God's design from the beginning, to choose them in order to bring the knowledge of God and the good news of God to all the world. And they kept it to themselves, and they barred others because they thought they were God's chosen people, and them alone. You will be blessed so that you can be a blessing to all the peoples of the world. And so there's one other occasion here in Mark where we see Jesus refer to all nations. And it's in chapter 13. When... His disciples come to Him with a question that, you know, like we even talk about. Yeah, what are some of the signs of the end? Like, what should we look for? You know, but the end of the world. It's interesting how Jesus answers. He says, well, you know, there'll be wars, rumors of wars, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, there'll be earthquakes, famines, but these are just the beginning of birth pains. This gospel must be preached to all nations. Matthew actually adds a few words when he records that statement of Jesus. Matthew would say, the gospel of the kingdom must be preached to all nations, and then the end will come. He says, you guys, you're, you're curious, like you just want to look at the news and try to figure out, piece it all together. How's, how's the world going to end? And he says, that's not what it's about. Don't get sidetracked. Don't, don't get lost in the weeds, Christians. Don't be overly fascinated with prophecy and figuring out how all how COVID and Russia and Ukraine, all these events fit into this plan. And you sit in your basement and in a Christian huddle, figuring it all out. He says, Jesus, that's not about that. That's That's just the beginning. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached to all nations, and then the end will come. What is the heart of God? The heart of God is that the good news of Jesus would go to the whole world. And when that happens, then it's done. Because that's the heart of God. That's what the kingdom is all about. It is a kingdom for all peoples. That word nation there doesn't actually mean like our, you know, like our geopolitical, it's got borders. Literally in the Greek, that's the word ethne, where you get ethnic. So it's all peoples. So kind of like how we use uh, the, the term First Nations to refer to different ethnic groups, different tribes. That's what this word means. Not just talking about the 200 nations on planet Earth at this given time. He's talking about all the people groups of the world. All the cultures. All the languages. All the races says, this kingdom is for all peoples. I did a little search. I don't, you know, there, there's some debate over how you define an unreached people group. But um, I was reading a common definition is if a group of people has less than 0.1% of that population that are followers of Jesus, less than 0.1%, then that's an unreached people group. You know, they don't have, they don't have enough of, of, of their own church to reach their own people. And if that's the measurement you want to use, as of today, there's 4,526 peoples of the world that are unreached, that have not yet received the good news of the kingdom of God. And he says, the end will come. Don't worry about wars. Don't worry about famines, earthquakes, disease. Yes, that's going to happen. But my gospel must go to all peoples, and then it'll be done. That's God's heart. That's what He's showing them in these dots. The kingdom is for all nations. And so you get this beautiful picture of heaven. That this vision that that again John records in the book of Revelation, where he God gives him this, this vision of heaven, and he describes it this way. He says, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. He says, it's going to happen. Every nation, every tribe assembled together, present around the throne of God. That's what His kingdom is all about. There's no more multicultural place in human history than around the throne of God. And that's what makes racism and nationalism so ugly. Like, I know we're too smart to do stuff like that, right? But that, that's just it just makes it so ugly. It's so antithetical to the kingdom of God, which is for all people, to the exclusion of none through Jesus Christ. And racism and nationalism are just so ugly. That's what the people of Jesus' day had bought into. But, you know, if we're honest with ourselves, maybe we have this tendency... Right? like We all have this tendency to kind of prefer people that are like us, to kind of be more concerned and have more compassion for people like us, whether, whether kind of consciously or unconsciously. I heard a story of a, a young father-to-be. He was pacing back and forth in the corners of the hospital while his wife was in labor giving birth. And, you know, he was just all tied up in knots of fear and anxiety and sweat was dripping off of his forehead. And finally, in the middle of the night, 4 a.m., the nurse popped out of the delivery room and said, congratulations, sir, you have a little girl. I know what that's like. The young father breathed a huge sigh of relief as he collapsed into a chair and he finally looked up at the nurse and said, oh, how I thank God it's a girl. She'll never have to go through the awful agony I've had tonight. I've been there, it was hard for me, hard for me, three times and the first time in Winnipeg, my wife had to give birth during hockey night in Canada, Flames versus Oilers, I missed the second period. (laughs) <laughs> I digress. Uh, that's just a funny little example to say what Jesus would say in, in Matthew chapter 5 when he says, um, uh, he says, don't just greet people. Don't just greet your own people. That's what the pagans do, Right? Jesus, it's interesting in this story, when he, when he fed the 5,000, the words are, he looked on the crowd and he had compassion. The exact same words here. Now he's in Gentile territory, a group of Gentiles, and he looks at them, the same words. Jesus had compassion on them. His care and his concern for all peoples was exactly the same. Boy, we kind of struggle with maybe just being too inward looking to ourselves, people that are like us. People in the walls of our house, people in the walls of our church, people in the walls of our community, people in the walls of our nation. That first church struggled with that too, right? Acts chapter 6, that's why, that's why the elders' board or the deacons' board was formed. The apostles, there was a problem in the church. They said, you need to pick seven among a menu because some of the widows, the Hebrew widows are getting the food they need, but the Greek widows are being overlooked, whether intentionally or unintentionally. This group was being favored and this group was on the out. We have to guard ourselves. Is our compassion for some less than it is for others? Jesus had compassion on all peoples. And He, and he tells His disciples, you got to go to the other side. You need to cross. You need to cross the street. You need to cross the world. You don't stay in the comfort zone of your own borders. Go to the other side, for I have come for them too. Jesus is saying, I'm the bread of life for you, And for your people, the Jewish people, but I'm the bread of life for all people. And we need to recognize that, church. Jesus, the gospel, it's not just for us. It's not just for white people. It's not just for Westerners. As if it ever started there. With us. It's for the whole world. Jesus is the hope of the nations. Jesus is the only hope of all peoples. For salvation is found in no one else other than in Jesus Christ who's come for the world. The kingdom of God is for all peoples. And God has entrusted that task to us. I mean, just look at the, the final words, the final charge He gives to His disciples that we know as the Great Commission. Right? I don't even need to find it. Matthew chapter 28. Right? Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Go and make disciples of all nations. And what are His final words to His disciples before He ascends into heaven at the beginning of the book of Acts, the very final words? It says this, Acts 1 verse 8. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. What were the final words of Jesus on earth? The ends of the earth. That's His charge, not just to those guys and gals, that's His charge for us. We, New Life Church, every one of us has been entrusted with the task of bringing the good news of His kingdom to all nations. That's for us. It's a command to make disciples of all nations. Our mission as people, as individuals, as families in a church Our mission can be no smaller than the ends of the earth. And that's why our our vision statement here is to connect, equip, and send people to extend Jesus to stonewall the interlake and the world. And those aren't just words. They ought not to be just words. That ought to be what we're about. Not stopping here in this room or even in this community, but we've been entrusted with this most sacred task, which is at the heart of God, which is that His kingdom would be for all peoples. And so we are a part of a global movement. How does that make you feel? This is way bigger than you or us. Like even right now, Christians in every nation on this earth, in thousands of languages, are all worshiping the same God of one family, one movement. How does that feel that you're a part of a global movement? Because you are. And you've been given a global mission so it's easy to say, like, look at, okay, make disciples of all nations and go, yeah, that needs to happen and someone else is going to do it. Like, that'll, I'm sure that'll happen somewhere by someone. But that's, that's God's charge to us. That's a task he's entrusted to us. So just, just in closing here, what could that look like? You know, when he connects the dots for his disciples and he says, this is what I'm about, my kingdom is for all nations. What would that look like for us? here now. I just want to kind of suggest four ways that we can um, fulfill this in our own lives, and we're all in here somewhere. Number one, be a goer. Be a goer. Some of you may be called to actually go, to cross borders, to cross, language, go to other places, and actually bring the good news of Jesus somewhere else. You might be called to go, A number of years ago, there was a young couple here, Doug and Phyllis Trick. They got called to go by God. God laid that on their heart, and He sent them to the Philippines. And even right now, they're translating the Bible into a language of an unreached people group so that they too may know Jesus Christ and the salvation that is found in Him. As Paul says in Romans 10, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on the one in whom they haven't believed? And how can they believe upon the one in whom they haven't heard? And how can they hear unless someone tells them? And how can someone tell them unless someone goes? So I don't know, like, like maybe, maybe that's for some of us in this room, one or more of us. Whether it's for your whole life, to devote your whole life to that, or whether it's to divide, devote a season of your life to actually go. But it might be that there's, I don't know, maybe there's a young person here right now, God is going to lay that calling on your heart to devote your life to go. share the good news with the nations. Some are called to be goers. We're all called to be senders. If you're not a goer, you're a sender. Number two, be a sender. How can someone go unless they are sent? I mean, Paul was sent, right? Paul and one of his colleagues, they actually had their church come, they laid hands over them, and they sent them out, and they supported them. And this church, we're a church that that is called to and strives to support. I don't know if you know this, but every dollar you give New Life Church, 10% of it goes to do just that. I mean, we have a host of different missionaries all across the world and different uh, mission partners that we support out of our own budget here as a church. But be even beyond that, what would it look like for you to be a sender? If you're not called to be a go, you're called to be a, se- a goer. You're called to be a sender. This mission is for all of us. What would it look like for you to participate in the reaching of all nations for Jesus Christ, to be a sender in the way you use your resources and your time. As you look at what God has given to you, as you look at your possessions, would it show that this is at your heart? Do you share the heart of God to bring His kingdom to all peoples? We can all support this work what would that look like in your life to be a sender? Thirdly, we can be a prayer. I, I just know at every Wednesday morning uh, staff meeting here at 10 02, Howard Moore's alarm is gonna go off on his on his phone. 10 02. That annoys me like crazy. Howard, turn off your alarm. Where is he? Is he in the room? Howard, turn off your alarm. I'm I'm kidding. Um, I I realized right away what it was. 10.02, what, what a weird, what a weird time. But at 10.02, every day his alarm goes off, and it reminds him to pray the prayer that God instructed us to pray found in Luke chapter 10, verse 2, when Jesus says to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few, so ask the Lord of the harvest to send workers out into the fields. And so, he sets his alarm at 10.02 to be reminded to pray that prayer. God, would you send? God, call people. God, empower people. God, reach the nations. Do we pray like that? Do we look at what's happening in Ukraine and Russia and go, oh, God, bring peace and security, which we should pray. But like Jesus says, what is it? What is it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet lose his soul? What people need more than anything else, more than peace, more than prosperities, they need Jesus Christ, the giver of true and eternal life. And that's why Paul, when he instructs people to pray at the end of Colossians, end of Galatians, when he's actually writing from prison, he doesn't ask them to pray that the the prison doors would be open so that he can go free. He asks them to pray for an open door for the message of the gospel, because that's what's ultimately important. So, this should infect how we pray. Do you pray like like someone? Do you pray like someone who has at their heart the heart of God for the nations? That really understands that this is what the kingdom of God is. It's for the nations. How would that affect the way you pray? Not just for peace and prosperity, but for the advancement of the gospel around the world and... Around our neighborhoods. We can, we can all support that in prayer. And lastly, and I think this is important be a receiver. Be a receiver. Um, you know, the world is coming to us. Have you ever noticed that? Go to a superstore, Polo Park, and you go, I hear lots of languages, I see lots of skin colors. You know, that, that ethnic food aisle is starting to grow and grow. The candy's all gone. If someone could replenish the candy, that would be great. This is a two-candy sermon. Sorry. Uh, the world is coming to us. And when the world comes to us, it presents us just with um, opportunities, church. You know, um, Remember when I said Jesus' last words to his disciples? You will be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Who is he talking to? People like you and I, maybe grade 12 education, he, tradespeople, fishermen, a small group. How are we going to do this? What? The ends of the earth? And then he goes. And they're like, what? Can you imagine? They probably sat down in front of like, like, a, like a big table. They, they put out a big piece of paper and going, okay, guys, but how, do we, how do we do this? Ends of the earth. Hmm. And then in Acts chapter 8, we're told that persecution breaks out in the church in Jerusalem because they were just still in Jerusalem. Persecution breaks out and the church scatters throughout the villages of Judea and Samaria. And one of those guys, Philip, as he's walking along a country road outside of Jerusalem, he bumps into an Ethiopian. And he hears this Ethiopian man reading from the book of Isaiah, this prophecy that Philip knows was fulfilled in Christ. And so Philip approaches this man, and he leads him to Christ. He shares the good news of the kingdom to this man. And that Ethiopian man becomes a Christian and continues on his way, and the church of Ethiopia is born. That wasn't on like the, the, the master plan as they sat in Jerusalem going, how are we going to do this? No, they, they, God just brought people along their path. He, 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 he presented opportunities. They didn't even have to cross the world. He just had to cross the street. And I think it's the same for us. You know, going to the other side doesn't always mean the other side of the world. It might mean the other side of the street. It might mean the other side of the school hallway. It might mean the other side of the work lunchroom. It might mean the other side of the grocery aisle. God has brought the nations to us. God has given us opportunities if we will see them and if we will seize them. God will bring people into your path, all sorts of people. So, do you have that kingdom mindset? The kingdom of God is for all nations. This is the heart of God. What would it look like for me to cross the street, cross the hallway, build a relationship church we are all on the mission field every single one of us we've all been entrusted with this great commission to go make disciples of all nations and it's going to look different for different people some are going to go some are going to stay some are going to preach some are going to pray did that rhyme I didn't even try to do that but we're we're all called to do something we're all called to be a part of it in whatever way we can For the kingdom of God is a kingdom for all nations. It's a kingdom for the other side. So let's not be those that just stay in the borders, the borders of our church building, the borders of our community, or the borders of our nation. God is calling us to cross borders, to cross divides, to bring the good news of Jesus in word and deed to all peoples. And you have a role in that. What would that look like for you to be about that? What would it look like for you to do kingdom work? And and maybe that's the question I'll leave with you. You can ponder and you can pray over. What would it look like for you to go to the other side, so to speak, to participate in this great and global mission that God has brought each and every one of us in this church into? What would that look like in your life? I encourage you to ponder on that and ask God, God, how can I be a part of reaching the nations for you? Can we come to God right now in prayer and do that? And, and I just, I'll just leave a moment for you to pray that prayer to begin the conversation with God before I close. Just take a moment and first of all, just to thank God that you're here because someone went to the other side. I don't know how many people are from a Jewish background in here. I'm not. My family was German. The barbarians were in animal skin somewhere there. And at some point, someone went and shared and I'm here because of that and you are too, maybe you just want to take a moment to thank God for the obedience of others that went, that sent, so that you could know Him. Thank Him. take another moment and just ask God um, to show you what it would look like in your life to be a part of this mission of bringing the good news of his kingdom to all nations. Say, God, I'm open to that. Would you show me what I can do? Would you use me? God, yeah, we acknowledge that we are here uh, because someone obeyed, someone took the heart of your command to go and share the good news of Jesus with others, even, even to those in faraway places. And people went, and that's why we're here today. And we just thank you for those who have come before, for their obedience to your call when you laid that on their heart. Lord, and, and, and you place a call in each of our lives. Lord, none of us are exempt from being a part. And why would we want to be? God, it, it's just, it's so awesome that we, together with your people all over the place, can, can each do our part to fulfill this incredible mission that you have, Lord, of just extending your kingdom to the very ends of the earth. God, I just pray that our heart would be no smaller than your heart, that our mission here in our lives in this church, our mission would be no smaller than your mission, and that you would show us, God, how we can do this with you, and that you would give us the courage to obey, that all may know you. In Jesus' name, amen.